In this episode, we chart the continuing Nicholas Cageification of John Cusack with The Paperboy. What's up, Dan? Hey, Stuart. I'm Dan McCoy. Yeah, and I'm Stuart. (laughs) Wellington. (laughs) I was waiting for the last one. Not a different Stuart. There's only one (laughs) here. We didn't try and sneak one in. No. And I'm Elliot Kalen. What's up? That's it? Fellows. That's my whole name. You didn't have like a funny thing to do? I mean... A little bit? Some sort of business? Yeah, this thing's filed under comedy. I mean, you want me to really ham it up? too. Well, hey, who's this over here, Elliot no, Kalen? Stop, stop. Too much. Yeah. Too much. See, again, that's... So how can I satisfy you guys? I'm either going too low or I'm going too high. Come on. Welcome to the Flophouse. We welcome watch the, movies Welcome here. to the Mouse House. <laughs> Your home for questions about mice problems. Let's go to some viewer mail. <laughs> this one goes out to Dan. It says, Dan, I know you say that glue traps are the most humane way to kill an animal. But what if it's not? Dan, you want to reply to that? It's actually not the most humane way. That's, that's totally different from what you said last week on the Mouse House. Poor <laughs> mice are alive and they're terrified. But that's that's sad. It makes me think of one time that I actually had to deal with some mice and some glue traps. Yeah, let's not talk about sad stuff. Let's talk about the movie The Paperboy. Yeah, the grossest actually, movie ever. This is a uh, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie we talk about it. We watched a little film called The Paperboy. Little. Written and directed by uh, well, precious uh, director Lee Daniels. Now, do you mean he's, made he's a, bad movie, he's a precious Daniels. director the way Wes Anderson can be a little too precious sometimes? No, I mean he directed the film... Uh, or do you mean he's been driven mad by a ring precious <laughs> that he calls his precious? Precious novel Push by Sapphire. Oh, yeah. Starring Monique. Mm-hmm. Mo apostrophe Neek. Yeah. <laughs> Stands for Mormon Neek. <laughs> So, but we didn't watch Precious. We did not watch based Precious. Based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire. We no. watched, uh, what, The Paperboy? The Paperboy, based on the novel The Paperboy. Which was, in turn, based on the... The novel the Pushed by, Sa- by Sapphire. The Nintendo video game. <laughs> based the on Paperboy. the video game. Well, here's the thing. The weird thing is they really took the source material in an odd direction mm-hmm. because the video game Paperboy, you're a Paperboy, you throw papers, you try to mm-hmm. get them in the mailbox, sometimes you break a window, somebody yet runs out and yells at you, maybe a dog chases you. Yeah. This, they took that main character of the paperboy, and they put him into a weird, lurid, southern gothic kind of... This is the kind, kind of, of I was talking about earlier, by yes, the way. Yes, <laughs> bizarre soap opera, which I don't remember from the game. No, yeah, it doesn't exist in the game. It's like if they made a movie... It's like of, a junkyard. It's like they made a movie of Duck Hunt, and mm-hmm. it was all about how that dog that catches the ducks was really like owed a lot of money to the mob, so he has to become a prostitute. Is that why he's always giggling at you when you fuck up? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because he's practicing to be a geisha girl. Okay. To get that money back so he can escape the mob. <laughs> he is giggling from behind a coy hand. <laughs> yeah, like this. Anyway, it's what I mean, I really want to have sex with that dog. And that dog is what the Mikado was based on, I think. I didn't see the movie Topsy Turvy, but I assume that it's all about how Gilbert and Sullivan were playing Duck Hunt and got the inspiration for the Mikado. But the Paperboy, the actual film, the Paperboy, starring uh, oh, it's Zac an all-star Efron. cast: Zac Efron, Zac Efron, Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman, the uh, man who was bitten by a radioactive kid, <laughs> and now has all the powers of a child. Matthew McConaughey, 
And uh, the Raven himself, John Cusack. <laughs> oh, he played Edgar Allan Poe. He didn't play the Raven. And Scott uh, Glenn, dude. Scott it. Glenn is in it. And also the bad guy from Rise of the Planet of the Apes is in this. Mm-hmm. And Macy Gray. And Macy Gray is in this. In Okay, here's a movie. She's plastered all over this thing. Let's just say yeah. off the bat. This is you really can, a Macy Gray vehicle. Everyone talks with a heavy southern accent. You can understand maybe 30% of the dialogue in the movie. Macy Gray is the least understandable. And she's the narrator of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a framing device that is kind of abandoned after after the beginning. Well, it starts with her being interviewed by somebody, and then she narrates through the movie. You never find out who's interviewing her. Her narration is basically... We, the viewer, I guess. She does, <laughs> I guess, he, she does a lot of telling you things that the character would never know, and also telling you things that would be more easily told to you just through scenes where those things happen. But, Possibly uh, by people who don't speak with a crazy, mumbly accent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let's just say right off the top of the bat, this is Southern trash at its high, at its lowest point, let's mm-hmm. call it. There's a, and, uh, it feel, I mentioned to Dan near the end of the movie that it, this felt like something that Tennessee Williams pooped. Like if he pooped yeah, and true. it was a movie, yeah. this, it would <laughs> yeah. be the paper boy. <laughs> yeah. Like in it's alive sort of situation. Yeah. Well, it's alive was a baby. It, it was a poop. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch it's alive again. Let's pause the podcast. You're thinking about shit's alive. <laughs> sure. The the knockoff of it's alive. I'm glad you did, made that joke. That's really good. Um, so should we try to sum up yeah, what I happens kind of, in this I kind hodgepodge mess? I kind of challenge you to synopsize this. It's film. difficult because this is like a Dickens novel. There's so many characters, so many plots. Let's start with the beginning. Macy Gray is a maid slash cook for a southern family. Slash narrator. Slash narrator. She <laughs> she's, narrates their lives. She's, she's breaking the uh, the monopoly that people with good voices have on narrating things. Ouch. <laughs> you're Morgan Freeman's. You're James Earl's Jones. You're Werner's <laughs> Herzog. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this was like, there were times during this when it was like, couldn't they have found Mickey Rourke to do this? Uh, <laughs> do this? Couldn't they have gotten the Dick Tracy villain Mumbles to, to narrate this? <laughs> couldn't they have gotten someone on the other side of a phone talking through a handkerchief to <laughs> what if, Couldn't narrate? they get someone like and stick a bunch of towels in their mouth and have them narrate it? <laughs> couldn't they get uh, Eliza Doolittle from the scene where she has a bunch of marbles in her mouth? <laughs> Why couldn't they get like a kid who doesn't speak English and have him talk through a trumpet? <laughs> and then he could narrate the movie. <laughs> So anyway, so she's she works for this family and she narrates the movie. Uh, Zac Efron plays Jack, a paper boy. His dad owns the newspaper in this seedy southern Scott town. Glenn. Let's just call the town Hicksville. I don't remember what it's called, but everyone there is a super redneck. Sweatsburg. Hick. So, yeah, mumbly Sweatsburg. I think, I think it's Moat County or Moats County. Yeah, it is. I think Moats County. Mm-hmm. Now this is the years nineteen. Named for the large moat ringing the castle. Yeah, because As because the, takes because the, the feudal lord is castle, inside that sure. castle. Uh, it's 1969, a turbulent time in America, especially This happened in, in the, the past? South. Yes. <laughs> Do you think oh, everyone shit. was just really retro in their yeah, clothes? I don't know. I thought it was like a Wes Anderson movie. They all have black and white TVs. No one uses a telephone that doesn't have a wire attached to a wall. Hey, man. You're just uh, really hip down in the South, man. Yeah, I thought it was cool. So, continue. <laughs> so, Zac Efron, he was a swimmer in college, but he got kicked out of college for a prank where he drained all the water out of the pool. Now, he's working as a paperboy at home <laughs> in the sweatiest, grittiest town below the Mason-Dixon line. And, frankly, above the Mason-Dixon line, probably. Uh, his dad has a girlfriend that his that he doesn't like and that really doesn't enter into the movie ever at all, but no. she's a character. Now... She's from New York, I think. She mentions she's from New York, and she is... It's one of those things where everyone in the movie is 
a kind of horrible Southern caricature, but she is somehow worse than them. And she's the character that they can all feel is the bad guy, I guess. Now, Zac Efron's brother is Matthew McConaughey. His name's Ward. And Mm -hmm. he has a sidekick who's a black guy named Yardley. And the two of them are writers for like the Miami Times or something. I guess they're in Florida in the movie. This is like northern Florida where it's really super southern. Uh, Ironically, the northern half of Florida is more southern than the southern half of Florida. What are you going to do? It's Florida. Mm -hmm. It's a kooky state. Anyway, so – they come to this town because a man has been thrown in jail for a murder. He probably Not just any man. He probably didn't commit. Now, the murder was of a a sheriff who they say was slashed his belly was slashed open and then he walked a mile with his intestines hanging out. Which Yeah, and we meet the sheriff. We don't really see that though, by the way. No, yeah, we just see Macy him lying Gray down. Gray narrates it in black and white and this inciting incident is given no weight in the movie. No, we don't know what's happening. We don't know anything about the sheriff. It, it's totally... Spoiler alert, his murder really remains unsolved. <laughs> Literally, the end of the movie, say no one ever knows who killed the sheriff. Now, the man who is wrongly convicted is... <laughs> no one knows who ki- killed Sheriff McGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> now, so the man who com- supposedly committed the murder is John Cusack in his wormiest performance ever. And this is the performance we wanted in, in The Raven. The Raven yeah. He is sweaty, mumbly, disgusting. He's just a perverted mess. He's a monster. He's possessed by the spirit of Randy Quaid. It's like, he's like if Randy Quaid and a naked mole rat got into like, a transporter from the fly and then and they, and switched they, bodies. And they screened uh, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. and like, I could do better. I can do it that. It does feel like John Cusack. It feels like everyone in this movie thought this was their chance to do a Nicolas Cage performance. It's like I wouldn't be surprised if Nicolas Cage was credited in the credits as acting coach for this movie because this is an over-the-top, mumbly, crazy movie. Now, okay, so I, I skipped the fact that Nicole Kidman has started a letter-writing romance with John Cusack, and through his letters, she is, one, so totally sexually turned on by him that she – Two, believes he's innocent, and she's gotten in touch with Matthew McConaughey and Yardley and brought them to the town to write an article, investigate and write an article proving John Cusack's innocence. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's kind of a free spirit. I mean, it's not like his his words have driven her mad with passion. No, no. Like, Nicole Kidman's character is one of these, like, southern belle diva trailer trash. Like a nympho Nympho, nympho Barbie, types. Yeah. yeah. The kind that looks like a baby doll type character, but if it's like mm-hmm. the girl from Baby Doll like aged 30 years you know 30 years in the future and now she's got like yeah she's your trailer park femme fatale yeah basically trailer calling her trailer park femme fatale fatale is giving that character way more credit as a rounded (laughs) character than she actually is but anyway she uh zach efron has a crush on her Mm -hmm. he really wants to do her and she is inappropriately affectionate touchy with everybody uh and there's a lot of scenes of them kind of like looking at each other, being all sweaty. There's a lot of scenes in this movie. Mumbling shit at each other. Just, yeah, sweaty in a room, mumbling shit. And then the narration will say like, then they investigated and found some clues. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next scene will be just them talking. And you're like, well, why didn't you show me them finding the clues? <laughs> it's like the movie is deliberately uh, narrating the important parts of the movie and then showing you the, the, the boring parts of the movie that other movies cut out. Most of the scenes feel like, we're watching right before the cameras get turned on, and they're still like maybe rehearsing a little, maybe blocking out the scene, maybe talking about what they did that weekend, workshopping their characters, basically, yeah. yeah. And then it's like as soon they were like, 
okay, Lee, we're ready to start running the script pages. And Lee Daniels oh, we, is like, we ran out of film. Oh no, no, we're out of film. We got, <laughs> yeah, we got to do this. And uh, there's a lot of he I keeps should... accidentally turning it off when he thinks he's turning the camera on. Yeah, right? before I get to the scene where they all go we'll to fix it all in post. <laughs> before I go get to the scene where they all <laughs> go, you ruined it in post <laughs> because he layers it. No, he adds a lot of layers. They go to visit John Cusack in prison, and John Cusack. Oh, this is the best scene. Meanwhile, four people are sitting there, and John Cusack. John Cusack tells Nicole Kidman, "Okay, spread your legs open. Now rip open your pantyhose. Okay, now start touching yourself." And John Cusack, through his pants, masturbates himself to ejaculation. Well, he doesn't Nicole- touch his himself. Like I don't think. I think he just like the raw power of Nicole Kidman. And Nicole Kidman is literally, come literally I mean, I came in my pants, <laughs> just opening her mouth, going, "Oh, yeah." If like- you wanted to see a movie. <laughs> Where you if you want to see a movie, don't watch the paper boy. <laughs> where you literally see Nicole Kidman's legs spread wide open, and she rips open her pantyhose, and then she fillet, a, she fillets the air. Yeah, she fillets. The, he says, he says, do, show me what you do with your mouth, like he said in the letters. And yeah, she fillets the air basically. And this goes on for five minutes. <laughs> and it's so the, long. And the other characters in the scene are supposed to be super turned on by this. But, but, all, but they all kind of just like seem like they're like, should we leave? <laughs> the reactions kind of bored. run the gamut from awkward to bored. <laughs> uh, but I, we should mention that this movie is – it's like Lee Daniels said, I'm going to shoot this movie like it was a trashy movie made in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And so he's throwing in all these techniques like zooms dissolves. and dis- super tons of dissolves and like a camera that doesn't look at the people who are talking. It's like he took like – the worst things about Robert Altman and like what Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And threw them into a into a blender, and then added a little bit of you know like some kind of you know sixties beach well, party movie. Well, yeah, like I don't know. It reminds me of some of uh, Vincent Gallo's worst moments too. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, like like a you know your 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 low rent black exploitation films as well. There's a little bit of that. I mean, the whole movie, but it, it draws on all these like. It draws on all these trash influence influences and then like these arty influences. Like it's got this Altman side, it's got this Terrence Malick side, but it, it's also got it, this John Waters it, kind it, of like early John Waters aspect to it. Yeah, but it neither has the clarity of like the artists, nor does it actually have the skill of the exploitation. The skill like, or the meaning. Like yeah. there's a re- like the reason John Waters is doing stuff to shock and break specific boundaries. The reason Robert Altman is doing what he does is to create a sense of atmosphere. But I'm also saying that, that exploitation films just... like are shot better than this. Like he's <laughs> ba- he's he's borrowing these techniques well, but he's fucking them up. And, and he has he, no idea what he's doing with it. It's like he's just like I just throw a bunch of techniques in here and mm-hmm. it'll work. And if you borrow all these techniques from all these different sources and then he he does this and then he forgets what makes any of those things fun. Yeah. Like he saps all everything that makes it fun and interesting and just leaves a dull un, like worst elements thing for us to watch it's a movie that's somehow dull and incredibly tasteless so like so they go to visit him in the jail Mm -hmm. uh they have a hunch that there's a guy i think it's john cusack's like uncle or cousin who can give him an alibi for the night the sheriff was killed he seems completely uninterested in that part of. i think like cusack even like says it and it's just like why didn't cusack bring up the fact that he had an alibi alibi we're supposed to believe i think that he was railroaded by the courts and the police that like it didn't matter what he said. He was going to get thrown in jail because he was a patsy for this murder. Sure. 
And but he, he doesn't is, even seem to care if they find like solve no, it or not. He's the worst man in the universe. Like it's he doesn't seem to care if he gets out of jail. Yeah, all he as cares long about as, is uh, Nicole Kidman coming and miming sex acts into the <laughs> sure. air. While uh, wearing a dress because pants are unbecoming. They go. On the lady. They go later and visit, and Nicole Kidman is wearing sparkly pants, and John Cusack yells at her for wearing pants and tells her to wear a dress whenever he, he goes. He names about thirty-seven <laughs> different people, and he goes, "You know what? The, who they are?" And uh, they go, "No, no." He goes, "They're prisoners. They wear pants. Everyone wears pants in here. If you wear pants, how am I supposed to tell you apart from the men?" But this is after he. He's literally like, uh, "Do you know this guy, uh, James Smith?" No? Okay. Well, there's a, what about uh, this guy Delroy Becker? No? You don't know him? Okay. Well, what about uh, – Se- and he just rambles off a bunch of made-up names before making this point about pants. But anyway, so they go to see his uncle or cousin who lives out in a shack in the middle of the swamp and with his topless harem and his yeah. kids. There's no way to get to it without wading through a ball. Yeah. They wade through, they wade through <laughs> a bunch of mud for about 40 hours. <laughs> they take a long enough break. To just sit on a log and maybe talk about where Zac Efron's relationship, like what's mm-hmm. what's going on with his love life. Yeah, and they and they find this guy. Well, you have to realize it took them seven days to get there. <laughs> they sure. had to rest and pitch camp. They find this guy whose job appears to be disemboweling gators. <laughs> he he has a gator hanging up. Well, that's the thing. John Cusack says. Of course, they found blood on my knife and on my shirts. That's my job. I'm a gator skinner. <laughs> so they go to see his uncle who has a gator Believable, hang Believable, by the way. He <laughs> looks like a southern gator skinner. Oh, yeah. And not at all like a kind of uh, dr- like formerly alcoholic Ace Ventura impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> like a guy who hanging around Hollywood Boulevard pretending to be Ace Ventura so you can take pictures with him. And then he goes and sleeps in a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> so what's he doing with all his money <laughs> with his riches from posing as Ace Ventura on the street does he use it to pay for America's pet food because he's gotta have sweets. pet heart he's gotta have like a that's monkey that's the kind of detective he is sure. I want my picture taken with Ace Ventura how do you even know that character that movie came out 10 years before you were born sweetie anyway uh they go and he – while he's talking to them, and even his uncle seems totally interested in providing an alibi, he slits open a gator's belly and pulls out about 40 tons worth of gook and organs. <laughs> and this will be the first of several times that animal parts are used for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they find this alibi. They go back. Uh, there's a lot of filler, which includes a scene where Zac Efron and Nicole Kidman go to the beach – and she says, you want me to blow you? Well, I'm not going to blow you. I think we should get back to the beach scene since well, it doesn't really connect up with the Well, I'm just going to mention plot. what happens here so we don't forget. And, uh, and Zac Efron goes – just to show that this is totally unrelated to the rest of the movie. Zac Efron goes swimming and is stung by a jellyfish. He a gets, shitload of jellyfishes. Like, there's a thousand jellyfish in the water. All over mm-hmm. his body. And he gets out and a bunch of girls are like, uh-oh, we're going to have to pee on the poison. And Nicole Kidman starts going, you don't piss on him. Get the fuck out of here. I'll Get the fuck out of here. If anyone's going to piss on him, I'm going to piss on him. And very graphically, Nicole Kidman pees all over Zac Efron. And it's like, okay, is, this, uh-huh. th- is the, this supposed to be like, well, I feel like funny this, or sexy or disturbing? Or, I feel like this needs to be addressed, but it is so... Out off the beaten path that I like, I kind of want to get through this. Well, then there's a, there's a story, there's a front page newspaper in his dad's his front page article in his dad's newspaper the next day that says like boy saved, <laughs> and I think it includes in the article that he got peed on. And yeah, he's uh, the laughing stop because he's been peed on from coast to coast. It turns out so <laughs> from coast to coast. Uh, it was the story that shocked a nation. Boy peed on. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's partner leaves. He's a black guy, and he doesn't like being treated badly by everyone in the South, so he leaves. And 
Nicole Kidman and Matthew McConaughey and Zac Efron are, I guess, investigating something. So they go to stay in a motel overnight. They go to a bar where there's like a, a women singing trio in mm-hmm. this in this dive bar, and Matthew McConaughey is making eyes with a guy across the room. Yeah, Uh-oh. it turns out he's a closeted homosexual He's gentleman. a closeted homosexual gentleman. They go back to the motel. Zac Efron has a weird dream that involves seeing one of the guys from the bar naked yeah. and then goes over to that guy's motel room to find uh, yeah. that these two men have basically raped and beaten and tortured yeah, they, Matthew McConaughey. They've chained Matthew McConaughey. We presume well, they handcuffed rape, him. Uh, raped him. He's nude. He's his, Face is all bloodied. He's blood everywhere. He's lying on a shower curtain. A lot of uh, Matthew McConaughey's butt and the back of his, his scrotum. <laughs> yeah, in case you wanted, you not go- the front of his scrotum. No, so. no, 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 no. <laughs> so don't worry. It's not. You can show this on network television yeah. in the Family Hour. <laughs> but in case you wanted, you wanted Matthew McConaughey to get the Eastern Promises treatment. <laughs> I'm imagining we're, we're dangerously close. <laughs> I'm imagining standards and practices like with like a, a measuring tape. They have like, a caliper. Oh, it's like. Two millimeters of scrotum. That's fine. <laughs> let's I'll see, allow it. Let's see how close we get to the circu- to the diameter of the scrotum we get. Mm. Mm, okay, We're, we that's good. We can show it. That's you a, know what? Put it on after. Put that's it a, on, that's hey, a only You know. <laughs> put it on right after the voice. It's <laughs> <laughs> a family friendly scrotum there. <laughs> it's so they. Uh, Zach Efron breaks through a window, beats up one of the guys. He keeps and, asking, what's with the plastic sheet? Which is the least important question, and it's obvious the plastic sheet is there to get keep the blood from getting on the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> like, wh- why ask that question? <laughs> if I was going to beat up and have sex with and then cut up Matthew McConaughey, you put I'm some putting plastic, plastic down everywhere. Yeah, because you, you don't want them to charge you for the damage you do to the room. No, the, I mean, I'm spending enough on Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> you bought him? I well, mean, I rented him. On the supplies. They got the handcuffs. You got the shower curtain. Duct tape. Duct tape. I mean, tape. that's not cheap. And like, what, good stuff? One of the, And it's a horrible scene, but one thing I like about it is, so it's two men who have done this to Matthew McConaughey. One is fully dressed, and Zac Efron is fighting him. The other one is just in his boxer shorts. And as Nicole Kidman watches, the guy in his boxer shorts just gets up and leaves the room and walks out of the motel. Kind of. There's like a jump cut where all of a sudden he's outside of the room. <laughs> and it's like, it's almost as if he was like, Look, I'm just gonna call a quiz. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need my clothes. And he appears outside. <laughs> and uh, so this is a movie. Also, we should mention one of the bad techniques. This is there's a movie where a lot of things happen off camera. So like Macy Gray spills some iced tea on her employer, but it happens off camera, and then you cut back to her holding a pitcher and going like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Well, just iced tea. It'll come out." It's like, but you heard a splash sound. Like <laughs> someone knocks over a glass, and you just hear it. Smash. That's and, a light and, motif, right? Yeah, light motif. Yes. Well, it's a it's a theme that runs out the film is things happening off screen. Ellie, the producers rented that glass. They cannot break it. <laughs> it's like the old thing about uh you can tell it's a low budget movie because the car chase ends with them pulling off the road and getting out of the cars. <laughs> they can't afford to smash the cars. Uh so anyway, Matthew McConaughey's all beat up. I don't rem- I'm kind of blacked out for a little bit there. Uh the movie picks up again with Matthew McConaughey. Out of the hospital, but depressed. Yeah, he's he's drunk. He's, he's lost. Half he, blind. He's kinda, now blind kinda, in one eye. While he's out, his partner Yardley mm-hmm. uh, publishes the story. Oh, right. That then uh, exonerates John Cusack, and the he's governor pardoned. makes a call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Yardley has had is an, has an English accent, and Zac Efron goes to visit in an him. amazing scene. And Zac yeah. Efron goes to visit him, and it's revealed. He was faking the English accent to get ahead, and also he let Matthew McConaughey blow him at some point, and that's the extent <laughs> of the scene. Chilling. <laughs> <laughs> 
literally because he had ice in his mouth. Yeah, that character, <laughs> that character dropped a bomb on us, and it's never mentioned again. <laughs> uh, he and so the the article is out. John Cusack has left, and he has picked up Nicole Kidman and taken him to her <laughs> his, his swamp. swamp shack hideaway. <laughs> well, they, they <laughs> don't even show that. They just the show, bayou. They show this, like, shaky shot of the bayou. Oh, but before that, that he shows up at her house, and she goes, oh, I was going to write you a letter, because he's obviously been out of jail for a couple days, and he's like... He got this great shirt. I mean, he's it probably a, took him a while to go through thrift shops an amazing and find that shirt. Awesome shirt. And he decides to... Have sex with her right then and there, and it's basically a rape scene, and it's super. It starts that way. It's super rough, and it, but it, just in case we were turned on by this, in case we were really turned on by okay. John Cusack's pale butt pumping into Nicole thrusting. Kidman while he strangles her, like, in case we thrusting were, violently, <laughs> in case like we, a jackhammer. My in thrust. case we didn't realize that this is supposed to be a noxious scene, Lee Daniels just intercut shots of animals and then a dead possum with blood on its snout, like. He really goes all out so making us... So he amps up the sexiness <laughs> yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, but, what I'm saying is he really titillates. But then Cusack uh, basically... Uh, uh, at this point, it, at this point, like I wanted to stop the movie and just scour off all of my skin because I was never going to feel clean again otherwise. But anyway, John Cusack takes her to his his Bayou bungalow. Yeah, caveman style. He hits her over the head with a... With a <laughs> Drags her by the hair and, through yeah. the swamp, which then is... he puts, what, chili on it? Is that what caveman style <laughs> is at In-N-Out Burger? That's animal style. Oh, okay. Caveman style is when you put uh, rocks on the burger. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds terrible. It's, it's, terrible. it's also called the toothbreaker. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, but then, so... Um, Very popular among rock biters. Yes. So, Zac Efron... Never-ending story <laughs> reference. <laughs> They ride their scooters all over. Gets a letter from uh, Wait, Nicole Kidman. Zach Efron. Nicole Kidman gives a letter to no, one no, of the Bayou ba- Bayou brides to mail. <laughs> then Zach Efron is at his mother, his the wedding of his father and his father's girlfriend. He goes to the kitchen where Macy Gray is now working because she's been fired by his father, and she hands him the letter mm-hmm. as if Nicole Kidman mailed it to her. It doesn't make any sense why they should why she should give it to him. But anyway. Yeah, no, that was that was what I was gonna say. It, oh. it, it comes by via the circuitous route. So he and uh, his brother Matthew McConaughey with get, an eye patch, who now is an eye patch, get in a boat, get in a motorboat, and ride and- it around for about eighty years. <laughs> <laughs> like I half expected them to show up at the Bayou Shack after how long the sequence was and find a spaceship there, <laughs> and it turned out that generations had passed since they left on their epic voyage through the Bayou. <laughs> Yeah, there's a. Technically, it's a. I don't think it's a bayou. I think it's a swamp because it's the Everglades. I think. But I, I feel like a bayou. What is I think they should have filmed was the maybe it's, scene, it's a bayou. They should have filmed Matthew McConaughey explaining to Lee Daniels why he insists that while riding in this motorboat. He holds uh, Zac Efron close to his breast. <laughs> this is a big cradle. motorboat. Yeah, and Matthew Gahan is literally holding Zac Efron tight as you would a lover mm-hmm. as they motorboat through the swamp with and. And Maybe to build speed? I don't know. What? <laughs> yeah. More Keep warm? And, uh, and Zac Efron does mention that Matthew McConaughey looks like a pirate now, which he does with his eye patch. So they go to the Swamp Shack, which would be a great name for like a down-home cooking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to the Swamp Shack where uh, it's revealed to us through just seeing her dead body sitting in a chair <laughs> that John Cusick has killed Nicole Kidman yeah. and just left her to sit in a chair. Uh, and they say... Bring her out. And Junkies is like, she left. I'm going to ghost Joe. Because that's what every character sounds like in this movie. Except for Macy Gray, who sounds like this. 
<laughs> anyway, but there's a scene where Matthew McConaughey like is casting a spell on me. <laughs> Zach Efron's trying to snap Matthew McConaughey out of his depression, and he makes him get a shower. And Matthew McConaughey is literally in the shower, just talking like this. Goose came down, like everyone in this movie is Boomhauer, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like that—that's the—that's the funny thing about this movie. Like, it's the movie feels like uh, someone told Lee Jan, he was like, "This, no one can understand what's going on. We need to get a narrator in to explain." It. Like, Great, I'll get Macy Gray. <laughs> no, I'll get Mumbles talks funny. There's, uh, there. I feel like. I know I have a northeastern accent, yeah, mm-hmm. right. I'm sure movies set in New York or New Jersey sound funny to people from the South, but at least they must sound comprehensible. Like if you watch Analyze This, a person from the South is, isn't like, I just couldn't understand what they were saying. It was yeah, the, just crazy. The studio execs are like, Hey, what everybody loves about those early trailers of the Dark Knight, <laughs> Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> nobody understands his Bane character. Mm-hmm. What's his story? It adds to the mystery. Let's just do an entire movie like that. It's but it feels at times like Lee Daniels bought a ten pound bag and then put like eighty pounds of Southern in it, and it's just <laughs> spilling over the sides and it broke the bottom of the bag, and there's just a puddle of Southern on the ground. So anyway, they find, wrap this up. <laughs> they find that John Cusack has killed Nicole Kidman, his lady yeah. love, and Zac Efron's lady love. Oh, and they slept together at one point in order to cheer Zac Efron up after seeing his brother raped and tortured, <laughs> Nicole Kidman has sex with him. Yeah, but she I, throws him a bone. And literally, eh? wait, and no, Macy wait, Gray says, oh, okay. it feels awkward talking to you while you're watching this, so I think you've seen enough. And it cuts away from the sex scene. The only time this movie cuts away from anything. <laughs> the only time it is ever... Because it's supposed to be tender. <laughs> I guess so. The only time the movie has a sense of tastefulness is during the consensual sex scene. The yeah. one in the movie. So anyway, uh, and uh, there's a brief machete versus axe fight between John Cusack holding the machete and Matthew McConaughey holding Not the as axe. Exciting as it John Cusack has a real advantage because he has depth perception, and Matthew sure. McConaughey has missing an eye. So He's missing an eye, but is in much better shape than an old John Cusack. Yes, but still, John Cusack manages to defeat him. Covered in gator grease, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and slits Matthew McConaughey's throat with the machete, killing him. Yeah, so Zach Efron score. <laughs> Of the main characters, we've got Zac Efron alive and John Cusack alive. And then I guess Yardley's off someplace, but who cares about him? <laughs> and Zac Efron runs into the swamp. Again, there's a long sequence of him just running through the swamp. John Cusack looking for him for an entire night. And then Zac Efron, Zac Efron escaping. Zac is swimming, and that's how he escapes. And they, Because Lee Daniels puts in a bunch of flashbacks to the beginning of the film where we saw that Zac Efron was a swimmer. And knows how to swim. <laughs> because we needed, So that explains So that the audience can go... Oh, the swimming, of course. Having watched many movies where a young person has to run away from a crazy, sweaty person (laughs) in a swamp, I guess. This movie seems to have no real interest in making that actually, like, tense. No, there's no tension or suspense in the whole movie. And And then at the end of the movie, Macy Gray... There's a narration that says... Uh, that John Cusack's character was found guilty and given the electric chair, and they never found out who killed the, the sheriff. Zac Efron's character became a writer of some renown, and he never got over his first love. So this, the plot of this movie, swimming probably literally sounds <laughs> yeah, like a, swimming. Literally sounds like a fever dream. Like if you were feverish and you're like, you had a dream and you're like, oh, that'd be, make a great. That make a great screenplay. And then you wake up and you start thinking about it. Like you're giving this movie too much I credit, Dan. Yeah, that doesn't. So we spent this is, a long time. It feels time, like an Adult Swim show at that time. We spent a long time summarizing this movie, 
Because and, there's so much plot in it. And we, there's so much plot, and yet so little happens on screen. Sorry, you were saying, Stuart. But we spent all this time, and yet I don't think we communicated exactly how ridiculously dull this movie yeah, is. Yeah, it's very – it is how both – boring. It manages – and it's kind of amazing that it manages to be so tawdry and disgusting and sleazy and super boring and super nothing happening on screen. Characters just kind of sitting there mumbling at, at each other and – Scenes that don't go anywhere, that there's no purpose for them, and then a narrator coming in and telling you about something much more interesting that happened somewhere, <laughs> somewhere else. I, li- I so and so found all the clues. <laughs> like I wouldn't have been surprised if there's a scene of Zac Efron sitting in his underwear on his bed reading a magazine to himself, and then the narrator was like, "Meanwhile, the barbarians invaded from the north. <laughs> they were fought back, but many died." Well- the atom bomb was dropped on New York, and man was forced to rediscover science. And then Zac Efron in the next scene, and Nicole Kidman were just sitting in the front seats of a car, like listening to the radio. Yeah, this this movie is like five shocking scenes, each of which are maybe five minutes long, buffered by long scenes of mumbling. <laughs> An hour and twenty minutes of mumbling and walking around, sometimes uh, driving around. I mean, I uh, to get back. I'm starting to... to think that Lee Daniels might not be a great director. Uh, well, I mean, here's the well. Thing. Don't come to such harsh judgments I mean, I mean, so fast. Look, as long as Shadow Boxer is in his credits, I can't look at the performance he got out of Macy Gray. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is what I'm looking at. <laughs> I mean, she really seemed like she was, uh, you know, some sort of drugged up crazy person. That's what he was going for. I right? mean, he made John Cusack way crazier than he was in The Raven, as I've mentioned already. That's true. Yeah. That's true. He did give everyone the chance to indulge their inner cage, and Nicole Kidman, I think, does the best at this. Just doing a very not her usual type of character performance, and she got a lot of praise for her performance, but it's still like it's so unbelievable. Like it feels like she's playing a cartoon character. Yeah, well, this movie got. I was, you know, I think both of us were looking at Wikipedia while watching it just to try and figure out what the fuck was going on because there. I can't overstate what we've said before about how it's impossible it is to understand <laughs> half of what's being it's said. It's one of the rare movies that's in English, but it needs <laughs> subtitles. But uh, we were looking at it and. This movie got nominated for a tremendous number of awards, actually. And Mostly I acting awards, but it was also nominated for the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Oh, it probably won, right? Because it was amazing. It did not win. Okay. I think it's one of these I think Amour won. <laughs> where just because... Oh, that's bullshit. Lee Daniels... Uh, Haneke. Haneke. He's, he's, he's not half the director Lee Daniels is. <laughs> but that's the thing. I think that because Precious was a uh, critically acclaimed film... People all of a sudden you mean are like precious, <laughs> based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Yeah, but I think the not a very good golem. Assumed like, oh, we have to pay attention to this guy and treat him with respect. Well, now he's a, now he's a talent and a and a and a mover. Yeah, and even though this is maybe the most incompetent movie we've watched. I think it was well, only because of Precious. I assume that he got the level of actors for this that he did, a level of stars for a story and a movie that are ridiculously like boring grotesque in the imdb trivia so take it with a grain of salt it says that pedro amodovar considered making this his english language debut mm-hmm. and you can imagine you can see in your head kind of like that would that, be a great amodovar it would have been at least at the very least there's it would have been good interesting scenes in it probably but it seems much more this is the kind of material that in the hands of someone like that might have turned out good maybe but still it would have been iffy you know but, in the hand, but like it, Lee Daniels doesn't seem to be the right guy well, this, for it. Like, I mean, obviously this movie was trying to be provocative. It's not like we don't understand that this movie is supposed to be this overheated Southern Gothic uh, trash. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at least if it was... Trash, but it doesn't work even on that level. At least if it was an Almodovar movie, 
there would have theoretically been subtitles, so I could have followed it. <laughs> I'd like to postulate a theory, uh, going back to the urine scene. Okay. Uh, which what, I, okay. The scene that I was in? I feel like... <laughs> you said you're in the scene. <laughs> no, I got the joke. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> I just like want to make sure that Stuart got it, knew it was a bit, yeah, and that yeah. I wasn't in the movie The Paperboy. I, li- I had that blank look on <laughs> my face. I was thinking about it. Takes uh, me a minute. I feel like we didn't explore it fully uh, because I wouldn't let us, but... Uh... <laughs> but you're in scene. Yeah, you literally <laughs> said, let's not talk about well, it. Well, because it, it is so... Dan's dis- got a joke. Fucking chill out. Let's <laughs> it, listen to it. No, it's not a joke. I'm just like, it is so disconnected from the, the plot of the movie. Well, you're saying it could have been a, an award-winning short <laughs> film. <laughs> I kind of wonder. I would like to postulate the thought that it's Lee the, Daniels just has a thing for the idea of Zac Efron being peed on, and so he made this whole movie as a beard so he could put that scene in a It's in possible. A film. I mean, there's also a lot of scenes of Zac Efron just in underpants, yeah, walking I, around with no clothes on. I would agree with you if this movie wasn't so over-directed. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's true. If it looked like he didn't care about the other scenes, but he piles so much effort into the other into just the techniques he throws Unless in. he's just like fiddling around on his computer fucking editing program. Just like, oh, let's do this weird dissolve. Oh, let's do it four more times. Hilarious. Oh, you let's know what? split screens. Split let's do screens. split screens. <laughs> let's do five split screens of the same person just spinning around. Because I, I had such a... You could do this. People don't want to watch five scenes in a row of people just staring at each other. Let's make this one split screen. Like, it is amazing that there were no star wipes, Venetian blinds wipes. I think those are called slat wipes. That they, There wasn't a point where the where the film just polarized for no reason. <laughs> The screensaver comes on and, like, lasers <laughs> appear. Like, the screen burns away <laughs> to get to the next scene. It's got that, like, really digitized look like an 80s music video all of a sudden. Yeah, it <laughs> just turns into an aha video. There's just animation. I mean, he did, Too expensive. He, I'm kind of surprised at this point that he didn't use an iris in or iris out at any point in the movie. He seemed to be, like, it felt like he wanted to play around with 60s and 70s movie techniques and tropes Uh but in the way like you're saying like someone who just got an editing program and can do everything with the touch of one button so it's like yeah 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 put them all in it's like homer with the making the video about ned and star wipe and star wipe and she and lisa says they don't all have to be star wipes and he goes why eat hamburger when you can have steak that's what it feels like lee daniels is saying all the time but the, the peeing scene is really overwrought. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Unless they're trying, he's trying, maybe he's trying to say that Nicole Kidman is saving him in some way. By peeing. By peeing him, him, or that is degrading him, but it's, he's getting something from it. I like, I don't know what the meaning of that scene is. I don't know what the meaning of this whole movie is. Well, the meaning of those well, movies whole movie is don't go to the South. Like, and that, that scene ever. is so un, it's so unfocused. Like, there's so many, like, he'll jump in the Literally, ocean. Literally, it's out of focus. Yeah, like, way. most of the shots are out of focus. As soon as he starts getting, I guess, like, zapped. zapped. <laughs> as Am as I allowed to say that? Zapped? Zapped? I don't know why you, zapped, don't know why you wouldn't be allowed to zapped, say it. Zapped, too, is what you're He's looking. getting yeah. zapped again. So he's getting <laughs> zazzed by these uh, <laughs> fucking jellyfishes. <laughs> he's really getting zinged. And jellyfish. <laughs> then it keeps cutting to like like fuzzy out of focus shots of him, and then like people like teenagers on the beach, and the teenagers on the beach like the colors are all blown out. Mm-hmm. It like it feels like what Oliver Stone does. Three, in his three teenagers on the beach, three lady teenagers who, by the way, you know, would love to pee on. <laughs> they are they're, they're fighting over right the, about to pee on him. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to pee on him? He's a hunk. Come on. Yeah. And then Nicole Kidman they were fights like, them off oh, for the is right that, to pee on Is that Zac Efron from Orson and Me? Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely want to pee on him. <laughs> That's his number one credit, right? Sing Tiger Beat. <laughs> Ten guys we'd love to pee on. 
Um, I think we gotta win a win, win a date to pee on Zach Efron. <laughs> mad about Mads. <laughs> also, there's a cover story on Mads Mickelson. Who, would, who wouldn't want to be on that? Why guy? it's mad about Mads? <laughs> he can have a he can have a supporting piece. <laughs> Teenage girls love Mads Mickelson. Oh, who wouldn't? Come on! Yeah. Ever since his show Mads about you <laughs> with Helen Hunt. Yeah, uh, we really need to. Alan Hunt. So, so this movie Alan is Fun. it is an over over directed but under movied movie, yeah. and it's yeah, it's like the kind of thing that there's a lot of the feeling of what like Oliver Stone or like Rob Zombie does. I feel like where they throw in a lot of effects or techniques or Danny Boyle, but mm-hmm. with none of the skill that even those guys bring to it and all that stuff even just. Those guys. I mean, I'm not a big huge fan of most of them. Like, I think yeah. I think all that Danny stuff, Boyle some okay stuff. Danny Boyle. It all distracts from just the fact that most of the characters in the movie don't even seem to care about the focus of the first half of the movie, which is like clearing this guy, getting this weird criminal yeah. out. It focuses more on, I guess, Zach Efron being criminal. in underpants. <laughs> he is not a smooth criminal. Well, he looks like, like Randy fucking Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> he's the least, he's the bumpiest criminal. <laughs> they, they, it's, I guess the focus originally is supposed to be on Zach Efron's crush on Nicole Kidman, but it's so tawdry and gross from the beginning. Like, it feels like it should be Zac Efron seeing this woman and getting falling in love with her and then finding out how fucked up she is and him getting dragged into this morass. But everybody's already screwed up and crazy from the beginning, you know? Okay, you keep, you keep blocking me from moving the podcast along. And, uh, but let's I, talk about this peeing gotta, scene again. We gotta get to what, what was with all the scars on Matthew McConaughey's face? Our final judgment. Why would you mess up that punum? <laughs> Whether this is a good bad That's movie, Shane Punum, a bad bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked, Elliot. What do you think? I would call this a bad <laughs> bad movie. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I, wish, <laughs> I wish, like, I went into this hoping that it was going to turn out to be a good bad movie. I had heard how crazy and ridiculous it was, and yeah, I knew there was a scene where Nicole Kidman peed on Zac Efron <laughs> going into it, but it's so both boring and, like, gross. Just that scene with, with John Cusack having sex with Nicole Kidman is so icky and everything else is so boring that I'm just saying go on YouTube, go on the YouTube and watch Nicole Kidman being on Zac Efron. That's all you're going to want to see. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm go gonna, on P-Tube. I'll go with you here. This movie is so crazy that I wish I could recommend it because you're never going to see a movie like this. I don't know. Like Southland Tales is crazy like this, However, but, not, but not tawdry like this. You're not going to want to watch it. You're not like, going to enjoy it. It's it's an experience like none other, but it's not worth your time at the same In time. In the same way that, like, I assume getting, like, all the hair on your body <laughs> and head and the inside of your body waxed would be an experience, yeah. but not something... Not yeah, it's pleasant. like it's like trying to drink a gallon of milk in an hour. You can't do it, man. <laughs> it's like this. It's like the you cinnamon want to try test. to. Yeah. It's like the cinnamon experiment, whatever it is. <laughs> so no, I'm with you guys. Like it's a it's a simple, stupid movie, and it can't even be fun because there's so much bullshit and so many different effects being used. Yeah, it's so over directed. I'm just disappointed also that Lee Daniels' dad, Anthony Daniels, wasn't in it, reprising his role right. as C-3PO. <laughs> All right, enough of that. So. <laughs> Moving on to the next segment, uh, the Flophouse Movie Mailbag. The next segment of this podcast centipede. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Let's wash out the taste of the paper boy with letters. Let's get some letters to the edit editors. Editor letters. Letters to the editors of Flophouse. Please never make me watch the paper boy It's again. called the paper boy because that's with what John letters. Cusack shouts out before <laughs> chasing very, after him wild hair. You got what you want, paper boy? Yeah. He's like... <laughs> 
Paper boy, you play a good game, paper boy. You play a good paper game, paper boy. <laughs> but now you die. But now you paper die. <laughs> so how Phantasm. Much, how much better would it have been if Angus Scrim had played every part in the movie? <laughs> so if Angus Scrim getting bitten by a jellyfish and then Angus Scrim peeing on him. Uh, this email is titled Jason Voorhees Questions. Oh, okay. So wait, I'm does listening. He, he knows that Jason Voorhees isn't a host. He's not going to answer these questions, right? Uh, this is from Mr. Allen, last name with L. <coughs> Woody L. Allen. He says, hello, sirs. <laughs> I recently discovered the Flophouse podcast and has since become one of my favorite bad movie podcasts, which... Thanks, Alan. For whatever thanks, reason, man. is about 85% of all podcasts. Apparently, but thanks, Alan. That's true, but... Uh, I recommend no, it it's probably true. to most people I know, but since no one listens to podcasts, this does nothing. Well, thanks, I guess, Alan. <laughs> After listening to the roommate episode, I learned that Stu is a Friday the 13th fan. I've wanted to meet a Friday the 13th expert for some time because I have vexing questions Wow, you were promoted Jason from Vorhees. fan to expert within two <laughs> sentences. <laughs> the most vaguely defined of villains. Uh, I haven't bothered to sit through an entire movie. I tried last week during the AMC Marathon. But I've got a hunch. <laughs> so he thinks Jason actually dies at the end of the movie. <laughs> I have a hunch that even if I did watch the entire series. He thinks he's a mad goalie or something. <laughs> I still wouldn't find answers. So, Mr. Wellington, and there are five questions to prepare oh, Or beef, if I may call you that. Number one, if Jason died as a young boy, why is he a grown man in the series? Uh, it's called suspension of disbelief. <laughs> uh, boy, Stuart, what do you say? Well, yeah, he does. He doesn't really. He's like a weird zombie kid. He didn't really die because he shows up and he drags that chick under the water, and then he shows up later as a grown man with but, a bag on his head. But then, as a zombie, like apparently a zombie who ages. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna step in here and say magic. Yeah, oh, he's. Oh, I mean, he basically becomes a death elemental later in the series. Spoiler alert. Also, there's some question as to whether the Jason at the end of the first one is real or a, a fantasy or a dream. Yeah, that's I'm, true. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with Elliot on that. Yeah, that yeah, is all uh, the end of Carrie. Yeah, at of like the... at the end of Carrie. Carrie doesn't really. Or stick the her end hand of I know who killed me. Wait, Wait, no, that... that's not a dream. It's a story she wrote, <laughs> and it's the alternate ending. <laughs> all right. Well, number two, or Wha- like the end of Schindler's List when it turns out the Holocaust was a dream. Okay. Schindler's List is my go-to for these jokes too often. <laughs> I gotta stop that. Holocaust dream denier over here. Number two. Wh- <laughs> Why is his face disfigured besides constantly dying and rotting for several years before being brought back to life? I mean, I think that's covered. Like, he he was a, uh, I mean, I don't want to use the word, like, I don't know, he did, like, a, a retard or something? Like, oh, wow, God. come wow. on. Okay. He used it This was a setup. Late. It was a setup. But, like, he, he was, was framed. Entrapment. No, but he. Entrapment. He, that's he a, that's a word police use. He was born with a deformity, and that was part of why, like, all the kids made fun of him. And, uh, yeah. Why that's why nobody gave a shit when he, when he swam by himself. He had to swim by himself. He didn't have friends. Yeah. Okay. Number three. Does he have. That's why he kills teenagers. Does he have superpowers, or are you just naturally otherworldly strong and regenerative? If so, how did he get them? Okay. First off, in the second movie, when he runs around with a bag on his head, he learns the skill on how to teleport from the boyfriend of the heroine, of course. After that point, now that he can teleport wherever he wants, he's fucking amazing, right? Because he can just show up whatever he <laughs> Wait, wants and he murders people. He watches this guy how to do it. He just he absorbs it. It's like counting coup because he okay. kills him later on. Counting coup? Yeah, it's that thing that, uh, like, uh, Na- the Native American belief where if you kill somebody, you take their spirit. Oh, I didn't know that. Number four, why does electricity running through his corpse keep bringing him back to life? Or is it that? You haven't seen Ernest Goes to Jail, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair I enough. I think that answers that, yeah. Number five. <laughs> Nothing explains the, the, the relationship between the human body and electricity better than Ernest Goes to Jail. Turns you into a magnet and you can fly and, and blow things up. 
Why does Jason want to murder everyone? Is it revenge or just a general hatred of other people? And if he did manage to kill everyone at Crystal Lake, would he be satisfied or would he just expand his kill zone? Well, considering he took Manhattan. Would he quit the slasher game and move on with his life? Uh, I think these are questions that every J fan has to answer for themselves. Uh, they, I mean, part of it is that they leave a lot of that open-ended. Yeah. And I think intentionally. In a, in a way, Jason stands in for whatever you're most afraid of. He's like a mirror. Especially if you're most afraid of a, of a retarded zombie in a hockey mask. <laughs> for your own dark desires. <laughs> <laughs> for your it's dark mirror. passenger. I, I, that should be the quote on every Friday the 13th box. A mirror for your own dark desires. Stuart Wellington, the plop house. <laughs> I would cry if that happened. <laughs> All right. Well, this next uh, email comes to us courtesy of Daniel, last name withheld. It's titled In Search, Stern. <laughs> In Search of Mysterious Astral Alignments. Dear Floppers, long have I enjoyed the inspired hilarity you three original peaches, along with the occasional derivative pair in a peach's absence, <laughs> bring to bear on my eardrums on a mostly regular fortnightly basis. But well, only thanks for now, listening. Do I feel compelled to write in for a mysterious event has occurred that can only be described as spookily good bad? <gasps> it's the grand conjunction. <laughs> I, I work in the circulation department of a public library, and in this capacity, and I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> uh, an but a woman maniac. had sex with me, and it, there was an invisible maniac and a castle freak there. <laughs> in this capacity, spend much of my day in the depths of the back room sorting return material for its eventual replacement to the shelves. Being out of sight of the public and engaged in the sort of work that doesn't demand one's totality of attention, I can usually be found, earbuds in, wringing my face into a grimace of stifled laughter as I revisit some old favorite flop houses between new episodes. This very morning, as I sorted a few cartloads of DVDs, my deep cut episode was D-Wars, Dragon Wars. Oh, that's an old one, yeah. It is a deep cut. And Dan was wrapping up his half-hearted recommendation of a movie he was only (laughs) two-thirds of the way through. (laughs) Sounds like Dan. Did you see it on a plane? or? <laughs> I had just picked up our, po- our copy of Cat Belu and was reflecting on how undignified Leave Marvin looked on the cover when what should I hear but Elliot's piping voice recommending Cat Belu. It's a good movie. Cat Belu. Yeah, why are you saying you weird? I, that's how I remembered Elliot saying it. Oh, Cat Belu. Uh, the room reeled about me as I struggled to maintain a grasp <laughs> on what I had previously and naively assumed to be comprehensible reality. Almost what sucked kind into of, the into the airwaves like kid video or something. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of like rational, Captain N. <laughs> what kind of rational reality could I possibly believe in after this thunderbolt of cosmic alignment? How could I live as I once had the knowledge? I don't know. How could I live as I once had in the knowledge that my mean existence had somehow attracted the attention of some unnameable other god? For what else commands such cosmos warping power to enact such a coincidence? Oh yeah, only Cthulhu could do that. <laughs> I can only shudder in terror at the thought of how irrevocably (laughs) shredded my sanity would have been had the alignment occurred with head of the family. (laughs) In any case, this moment of kismet... (laughs) Don't even want to think about it. ...only cemented my conviction that the Flophouse is truly something special. Cheers to you, Dan Elliott Stewart, Housecat, and if it's Housecat's weekend to have custody, Housecat's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Housecat, you're back. How was Spain? He's got to give the fans something special. He's gone already. Oh, he already left to go back. (laughs) (laughs) He cares so little for our podcast. I don't even know why he shows up at all. He shows up only when somebody says something (laughs) reminding Stuart about it. So Stuart waves the house cat over. Otherwise, he's so condescending. I can see him there now sitting on the couch going, eh. He just comes for the fancy feast catering. <laughs> so, did he watch Cat Belly or no? Because it's you'll you'd understand why Lee Marvin looks so undignified. He plays two characters in the movie. I think he was too terrified to after that. I experience. can understand that, but it's a good movie. 
this last email killed a man of, right here in Wolf City. Oh God! Right here in Wolf City. That's part of the song. Anyway, you're saying this last email of the evening is titled "Sure, The Invisible Maniac Music Video." Okay. So is this the all Stewart with a little <laughs> bit of Elliot? Mailbag. This is uh, from Ryan. Last name. You didn't, you, didn't sl- you didn't slip in one of those letters you usually write about about how great you are. <laughs> Hold on. I you're getting, you can still save this email. I think you're starting to get the scent. So I'm... you're gonna you're gonna shake it up for a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, he says, "As anyone with a passing familiarity of your program will know, Stuart Wellington is an enthusiastic fan of the Adam Rifkin directed classic, The Invisible Maniac. He sure is. I hope this is from Adam Rifkin. What listeners may not know is that The Invisible Maniac was deemed an important enough motion picture to earn a music video. Yes, this brings us to He's Invisible, a music video performed by the metal band Keep Left, recounting the incredible achievements Uh, of The the Invisible Maniac. The metal driving band Keep Left. (laughs) Words cannot describe the ethereal beauty of this music video and the refrain informing us that He's invisible. <laughs> over and over again. It will haunt you for the rest of your life. The music video can be seen here. And I'll throw a link up on the website. Please do. Hopefully the music video will be included in the inevitable Criterion Collection Blu-ray of The Invisible Maniac. <laughs> perhaps with liner notes to help explain the many visual metaphors that make it such a powerful cinematic statement. Best wishes, Ryan. Last name withheld. P.S. Useless fun fact. The lead singer of He's Invisible is a man named Dan Povenmire would later go on to write for Rocco's Modern Life, direct for Family Guy, and create the wildly popular kids animated series Phineas and Ferb. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Between the success of director Adam Rifkin and, and singer Dan Povenmeyer, it has become clear. The Invisible Maniac is a launching pad for talent. Who will be the next breakout <laughs> Invisible, Ma- Invisible Maniac star? Noel Peters? <laughs> Stephanie Blake? <laughs> Robert R. Ross Jr.? <laughs> Only time. Yeah, it's will a tell. regular dazed and confused freaks and geeks. Just one of those launching pads for careers. Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually hear the rest of the email because I was on the iTunes store trying to find the Keep Left song <laughs> so I could immediately download it. Sadly, it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I think you may have to rip it uh, using uh, some sort rip of. Rip it a new one. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds way cooler than I know how to do on the internet. You're going to have to make like Nicole uh, Kidman with her pantyhose and rip it. (laughs) That's almost as cool as uh, the song Dream Warriors by Dokken, based on... Yeah, I thought it was John John Carpenter's song from uh, from Big Trouble Little China. I thought it was interesting that he... Seem to believe that the, the the marker of an important film is that we get a music video, <laughs> knowing that, uh, as you said, the aforementioned Dream Warriors, where Freddie's dreaming of Dokken playing this awesome song, yeah. <laughs> and then he wakes up and he's like, "Who were those guys?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you he's could be mine. Bitch. You could be mine <laughs> yeah. from Terminator Two, where at the end Terminator recognizes all the members of the band. Well, that was a major motion picture. I mean, Only I mean, because Guns N' Roses did a song for it. Oh, great song, great movie. I think we can all agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. With your bitch slap rapping and your cocaine tongue, you get nothing done. Oh, man, reading lyrics now. So <laughs> It's like poetry. It's like poetry set to a beat. Uh, so, uh, finally, we have reached the point in our podcast where we recommend films Films that you might enjoy, unlike the Paperboy, which was a which slog. you will not enjoy. <laughs> do not watch it. <laughs> Stuart, do you have a recommendation for us? Uh, I think I have I think I think have three recommendations. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, yes, let me see. Let, let me, like, Karnak. Let me see if I can guess what these are. <laughs> no, I, I just want to say real quick, 
If you're looking for like a southern fried, like sleazy movie, I'd recommend anything by Craig Brewer, like Hustle and Flow or Black Snake Moon, which I think we've all recommended at least once. Yeah. Um, but Good the movie moment. I actually want to recommend, it, I do want to recommend with a grain of salt. Because it's called Head of the... Fa- no, I'm just joking. <laughs> because it's called Salt. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just watched VHS recently, a, mm-hmm. oh, uh, a yeah. found footage horror movie anthology um, that is... I would recommend checking out if you are a horror movie fan. It's about and, half good, I would say. Yeah, and I think that's part of why... If half you're, great. If you're a horror movie fan and you are interested at all in that in that type of horror movie, I, I guess genre, but it doesn't... I don't know if it fits. At this point, it's become a genre. Um, that I'm not particularly a fan because a lot of it's like, hey, somebody's talking into the camera. Oh, no, something scary's going on in the background. Uh, but I think there's some good entries. The Ty West bit is interesting. And kind of breaks the flow, and then the final entry by a by a group of guys who I don't actually remember their name um, put together. They managed to get they managed to do some really interesting special effects stuff with what I'm assuming is a relatively small budget. Mm. So uh, if you're interested in horror movies, but it's I on mean, Netflix streaming right now. Yeah, I, if if you hate found footage movies, do not watch it. Mm-hmm. It will make you only more mad. Mm. Yeah. Wait, that was just two, right? Or did I miss and I, I, uh, I was recommending Hustle and Flow and, uh, and I Black Snake Moan. And fucking Invisible Maniac. <laughs> right. You know, throw, invisible, throw Castle Freak on the fire. Why not? Um, yeah, Ding Dong gets totally ripped off this dude's <laughs> dick hole. I like, <laughs> I like to recommend... <laughs> Now Stewart's left. First the, ca- the house cat, then Stewart. He just dropped the mic after the word dick hole and left. Uh, I'd like to recommend a movie. <laughs> I don't know whether it actually ever got a theatrical release, but it's available on uh, Netflix streaming. It's called Indie Game the Movie. It's a documentary about uh, three developers uh, or three companies. I mean, there's actually f- like four developers who are working on uh, independent video games. And uh, for someone like me who likes video games but kind of checked out uh post say 911 the super nintendo oh. i like like mario brothers yeah i know oh, i'm back guys by the way i oh, you came <laughs> thanks for coming back i enjoy like the, these these independent uh game makers you really you really stop playing video games around the time they stop making those hoops you hit with a stick <laughs> the leisure suit larry's kind of pushed in yes. after those after they fi- after they made the leisure suit larry's too realistic <laughs> well they're doing it's like whatever happened to the fantasy the point is these people are doing uh games that have very simple mechanics which i actually think for me uh makes a more enjoyable game i feel like even you know like you don't like gameplay that's too complicated. Yeah, don't I mean like even beyond like video games, like board games, I feel like the the, the classic board games that have endured have very simple mechanics, but a you lot like of trap. a lot of strategy involved. <laughs> uh, and uh, these are games that ha- go harken back to like the simple mechanics of earlier video games, but have sort of pretensions towards doing something a little more artful. And it's an interesting documentary about people trying to make video games outside of like big video game com- companies. Your calls of duty. Yeah. Not a fan. Uh, I guess it's your turn. So what was it called? Indie Game the Movie? Yeah. I'd like to recommend, I think, two movies. 
Uh, one what? is a movie you probably haven't seen, and one is a movie you probably have seen, but I'm going to ask you to look at it again with new eyes. Uh, the movie you haven't seen... Rip someone's eyes out. And put them in your <laughs> face. Put them in your face. It'd just be like the scene in Blade Runner when Roy Batty goes to the eye bank. Anyway, uh, he's seen many things, sea beams glittering off, etc., etc. Uh, the first movie I'd like to remind is called The Life of Oharu, or uh, the original Japanese title is Saikaku Ichidai Ona, Saikaku's Amorous Woman. This Beautiful. is a Kenji Mitsuguchi film. You may, I'm sure you know him from such movies as Ugetsu. Anybody? Oh, yeah. Sancho and Sancho Dayo, Sancho the Bailiff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's one of the greats of Japanese film. And this, The Life of Aharu is, if you can imagine kind of like a proto-feminist samurai movie in a way, not it's set in that time period. It's not really a samurai movie in that there's no sword fighting or anything, oh. but about a woman who... Basically, ninjas? there's no ninjas because she is born into a world where women have no power is forced through no fault of her own into a series of situations where kind of true love and happiness escapes her and she enters into lower and lower levels of degradation until attempting to reach some kind of transcendence at the end. And it's a re- it turns out to be a really beautiful movie in the end and it's a very you know well-made film. Uh, Mitsuguchi's big one of his big trademarks was long takes with very like elegant camera movements, um, and it's just a really well put together movie that I really liked a lot. Uh, if you haven't seen his movie Ugetsu, you should see that too. It's one of my one of the best Japanese ghost movies ever. Uh, but this one, Life of Oharu, is also fantastic, and I highly recommend it. And the movie I would say to watch with fresh eyes, I watched a little movie this Saturday that I hadn't seen in a number of years. A little thing called Stars Wars. Uh, and this is okay. a movie that all of us nerds have, I assume, a complicated relationship with. I know I did, that as a kid I loved these movies and I ate up the whole world and the whole universe, and it became no longer a series of movies but this mythology that I needed to master, and every new addition to it I had to judge, and each addition changed my evaluation of the entire this entire work, and I got really tired of that and really exhausted by it, and... All the like debate over if the prequels affect the new, the old ones, and what's better, and what happened to George Lucas, and etc. And on a whim, basically on Saturday, I just watched my old VHS copy of Star Wars from when they re-released it in the mid '90s, and watched it just as a movie. And it was so much fun, and it's such such like a fun, enjoyable, exciting science fa- fiction fantasy adventure. I know you guys disagree, and you say Star Wars is not fun, but it was it was nice to watch it from the point of view of. I am watching a movie that I like, but I'm not watching it from the point of view of I know all the I know all the lines, I know what happens to all the characters later, I know their backstories, so I know you're... what the fucking Dianoga is called, even though the, it's never named in the movie. Like just watching it I mean, from the it's point it's a Dianoga though. It's a Dianoga. But watching it from the point of view of a fan of a movie just watching that movie as the a one one movie story that just exists on its own was such a refreshing and ex- entertaining experience for me. So I would say go back and watch Star Wars pretending that this is the only Star Wars movie and the only Star Wars thing that there is. So you're saying you're taking the stand that this movie that sparked an empire is good. What I'm saying is I'm taking the stand that you can still enjoy it even more than you did before by clearing away all the detritus that's accumulated around it. The the, the Pondababas. Wait, no, he's in that He's one. in that. No, I mean like <laughs> – The Dengars. The prequels, the novels, the toys, the video games, the TV show, your personal feelings about George Lucas, any of that shit. Mm-hmm. Like 
it's no it's no wonder that it's an enjoyable movie at the time it was the most successful movie in the history of movies but it's easy to lose sight of it because there's so it's easy to lose to uh miss the forest for the trees because there's so many fucking trees that are terrible so let's focus in on all created just by the Timothy Zahn <laughs> so uh, well before we sign off I like to say on a personal note uh the outpouring, gay? the outpouring of sympathy oh. from fans after oh, uh, right. my uh, ACL injury has uh, just been just been astounding in its non-existence. It's just been amazing. <laughs> oh. It was it was so it's hard to walk all into the Dan's massages you oh, yeah. been offered. So hard to walk through the apartment mm-hmm. for all the giant flower horseshoes that the, weren't there. Yeah. Uh, just I would, pushing our way through all the condolence cards that weren't sent. I would like to say, I would like to thank, thank Allison Abrams. Uh, who was literally the one person who contacted me on Twitter to say uh, that she was sorry. You've won the ill-defined contest that did not exist. Well, Allison Dan, Abrams. I don't want to call you an ungrateful bastard, <laughs> but uh, I think you. I'm glad you took this time out to admonish our fans for not for not cast not rending their garments <laughs> in in sadness over your non-life-threatening but uncomfortable Smearing injury ashes on their face. <laughs> For not groveling in the dirt and walking on their knees to the local gonna, shrine I'm to gonna, pray, to pray you get through this. I'm going to be going under the knife, Elliot, <laughs> under the knife in two weeks. You get to have a dead guy's zombie tendon in your knee. That's amazing. When I was True. jogging on a treadmill today, uh-huh. for and I was all sweaty, and man, I was looking good, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I thought... <laughs> I was watching you from the window. (laughs) You were like Matthew McConaughey in this movie, just sweaty and cut. Sweaty, cut up, and I was thinking about you not that much, but some of the time probably. Not being able to jog and be sweaty and cut. I was listening to uh, what are kids like nowadays. Mm -hmm. So I yogurt, (laughs) yogurt. You were were listening to yogurt, just sloshing around in a tub. You squirted it into your ears. Dinosaur chicken nuggets or something? Who cares? (laughs) So I want to thank. So I just want to say to all our listeners who have been with us for a number of years now, who go back and re-listen to episodes, stand up for us in the AV Club comments. Thanks for. You should be ashamed of yourself. For not stopping your life to put yourself at the service of Dan's knee. All right. Well, uh, on that note, you uh, you are you are the true monsters of history. Dare you? <laughs> at long last, have you no shame? I'd like to sign off for a second. Have you I no decency. Sweaty John Cusack was a monster. No, no, his. Murdering of two, possibly three people. <laughs> for the flop house. Pales before this. Pales I, for this refusal to acknowledge. I the tearing of tons of alligator guts out of an alligator corpse is I disgusting. Dan McCoy. No, no, but this snubbing of Dan's knee. I oh. guess I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm, I'm too disgusted to say that I'm Elliot Kalen. Good night, everyone. Oh, man. You've horrified me, Dan. <laughs> Oh man, what's that? Fanfic? Pictures of boobs? <laughs> More April O'Neil boob pictures. <laughs> hey, thumbs up to that guy. Very <laughs> talented. Finally combine the two things we love most, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles supporting characters and boobs. Now if we could only see Krang with boobs. It's got to exist somewhere. Uh, careful what you wish for. Krang with boobs? What about Bebop and Rocksteady with boobs? Now we all talking. agree that's, that's awesome. <laughs> now you're talking. Shredder with boobs? Not so much. No, 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 no. Now Krang's robot body with boobs. Now you're talking. Yeah, no shit. <laughs>
It would be like one of those weird Soriyama sex robot drawings. Like the Spencer robot. robot. Yeah. The robot, yeah. But with a brain in its belly. But with cra- well, Krang, yeah. Krang. Well, Krang's a, cra- a brain. Yeah, Krang. He's the living brain from Dimension X. He's a Krang. He's a Krang.